Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's podcast uh, with Kate Winter, who is a student and a friend of mine and has an super interesting and inspirational story, which I'm sure many of you will be able to relate to. Um, But before we get going with Kate, I just wanted to remind you, this is the last intro you're going to hear about B-School from me, because this week on Thursday, July 29th, uh, it's the last day to register for B-School, and I hope that you don't miss out on this year's Summer B-School six-week program and eight weeks of study with me, plus an online retreat. You also get an annual membership to my Insider Membership Program so that you can continue to practice with me and uh, have conferences with me each month, as well as a special workshop. Uh, There's lots of amazing bonuses that I'm offering and I'm going to be with you every step of the way to help you as you build your heart-centered business that is going to make a huge difference in people's lives. So don't miss out. Sign up to B-School. You can find the link on my website, harmonyslater.com and uh, come into my mastermind program. We're going to have a lot of fun. You know, as someone who's been running their own business now, working for themselves as a solopreneur for uh, the last 20 years, I can tell you it's not always easy. There's been a lot of shifts and changes. I first started out after taking a yoga teacher training program, driving all over the city, teaching classes um, at different studios, at gyms. Um, This eventually worked its way into retreat centers, teaching retreats and classes at retreat centers, and then also doing some traveling and teaching workshops around the world. I also started my own brick and mortar yoga school in Victoria, BC, where students would come. And this, again, was a huge learning curve in in business. And I wish I had taken B-School back then because I think it would have helped a lot, but I didn't. I moved and started another yoga school in Calgary, Alberta, where you can find me now. And uh, since the pandemic, I've been teaching completely online and everything's been moved to this online platform, courses, um, as well as a membership program and classes workshops. And B-School helped me dramatically to shift my mind around being able to pivot. And it also taught me how to communicate more effectively with the people I wanted to reach and serve so that I could have my teachings out there more and bring people into my course so that they could really benefit from the pranayama practices and how to connect with people in a really authentic and genuine way, how to focus on what I could give rather than uh, trying to get something. I also uh, shifted my perspective a little bit around how I wanted to connect with people. You know, I ended up doing training uh, in coaching, in health and wellness coaching, uh, some certificate courses and some advanced training programs in health and wellness coaching because I really felt like I wanted to connect with people one-on-one more directly to help them reach their goals and to achieve things in their life, whether it be uh, in their relationships or in their health or in their fitness or in their diet or even in their career, in their work. 
And so um, this shift into coaching has really been a wonderful shift for me where I'm able to help and serve people one-on-one or in small groups like this mastermind. And my experience of B-School was that it was like going to business school, a six-week crash course in creating more clarity and learning how to effectively communicate my passion for yoga and holistic wellness, for learning how to uh, connect with people and find my people that really wanted to work with me and how to do that in an authentic and sincere way uh, so that my message could stay heart-centered and it was something I could truly be proud of and that what I was building online was something that I was truly proud of. So if this sounds like something that you would benefit from, that you would be interested in, I encourage you to sign up and come work with me in a small group setting. We will get to the heart of building your own personal business and brand and creating your own voice, what that is for you, and uh, work together on developing the best way for you to connect with people so that you can really serve and honor the talents and the gifts that you have and that you want to share with the world. So sign up for B-School. Doors close Thursday, July 29th. And without further ado, here is my beloved friend Kate with a very touching story and someone who herself is a wonderful businesswoman uh, working for herself and pivoting many, many times in her career. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I'm here with Russell Case. Well, thank you so much, Harmony, for introducing the show. Again. (laughs) (laughs) We're here today with a dear friend of mine and student. We met in Turkey several years ago, and she's come to practice with me in Iceland as well, but from England, and that's Kate Winter. Hi, Kate. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. It's so nice to have you on our show today. Oh, thank you for having me. You have such a cool story and I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing and and slightly nervous about what questions you and Russell might have for me. (laughs) (laughs) Kate... It says here. It says here that you have a bachelor's degree in sociology from the University of uh, Warwick. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Goodness, and then you 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 must have graduated. I I I expect, and then you enlisted as a bobby. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is also correct. Um, So some. Will your listeners know what a bobby is? <laughs> That's just what I was going to say. I'm not sure our listeners will know what a no, bobby is. No, I don't is. think they do, will. No. Do you know what a bobby is? I only know because I'm familiar with bobbies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you. So that means that you were a police detective. Is that is that right? What What do you think? What What would you? How would you define what a bobby is? Yeah, I, I would say. I mean, I I certainly joined the police service and started out as a bobby which tends to be like a police officer on the beat so like in uniform walking up and down the street um and then as my career progressed through the police I I became a detective at which point I would say I'm probably not described as a bobby um but yeah for anyone that doesn't know what that that means it means just somebody who's in the police force 
Goodness gracious. And, and the, on the beat, on the, like a, well, that was, a street cop. When she's a, walking, she's a Bobby. Yeah. And then she, when she was sitting, she was a detective. <laughs> yeah, I did more sitting then, for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you did that for, for I think, nine years. Yeah. And then yeah. you were a personal trainer and a bodybuilder in my beloved city of Brighton. Yes. That's fantastic. That's how unusual. Um, and th- There was some overlap between all of this, but um, uh, yeah, I, I was bodybuilding while still being a Bobby. Um, but I, yeah, I left the police to become a personal trainer. Right. Did right. you feel like you needed to no, bulk I'm still, up? I'm still doing the I intro. Know, but I just, I'm just so curious. <laughs> uh, we're going to get more into <laughs> okay, it. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. But, well, did, did, so... Did you feel like you needed to bulk up? <laughs> That's a fabulous question. <laughs> um, I guess I, I I wanted to bulk up, um, or at least I I knew on some level that I needed to gain weight, um, having struggled with anorexia and and a lot of difficulties around you know eating and and body image and all of this stuff. And I suppose that in that kind of quest to gain weight, I I got somewhat sidelined or I felt that muscle gain was the type of weight that was um, acceptable for me at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And therefore, I started lifting more weights and one thing led to another and I I ended up on a bodybuilding stage. Um, Good God. Yeah, it's it's dangerous sport in many ways, <laughs> um, but the, the bulking up wasn't necessarily um, separate from the eating disorder. I would yeah. say bodybuilding is kind of anorexia just repackaged in a different form. <laughs> well, I would say the same about a stronger, anyway. about a stronger yoga. So, so exactly the same. So would I. So would I. Mm. You replace you mm. replace one drug with another, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's sort of repackaged like you said in a way that seems acceptable it becomes the norm right and there's like certain practices and habits maybe um like uh defined ways of doing things that Mm -hmm. make it seem like it's not an issue but really it still is (laughs) in a sense you know like Mm -hmm. Like, you know, intermittent fasting for very long periods of time or with the bodybuilding, I know there's like a lot of, um, you know, looking at macros and calorie restrictions and things like that. It's a science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit mm-hmm. of a science. And and yoga can be a bit like that too, or especially mm-hmm. the Ashtanga yoga where you're, you know, you're not eating tomatoes because they cause inflammation. Or and potatoes. And you're not eating potatoes because <laughs> they increase the vata and like you're or peppers. eliminating whole food groups. <laughs> or onions. Yeah, yeah. or onions <laughs> or garlic or green peppers or, or you know. Carbs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like there's those Magical days where you have like where you have just like watery diarrhea. It's like, oh, thank God. You're so light. <laughs> You're so light and lovely. This is fantastic. And like if you can just string out the diure- diuretic days mm. for as many, then you could really advance in your practice. Mm. Without getting too weak. It's always this this balance. And I think that that bodybuilding kind of has that similar um fine line, right? To be as like thin and 
ripped. Yeah, as mm. as least dehydrated, as most dehydrated as, dehydrated as you can be, <laughs> but still be strong, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that there's um, there are so many parallels between you know Ashtanga and and the bodybuilding world, and you know I've obviously got a good um, a good view on both, having committed to both for you know quite a considerable length of time. But I would say that bodybuilding um, has has rules that are kind of non negotiable, and I think within perhaps within Ashtanga, depending on your approach to it you can maybe play around with the rules a little bit and you can find what suits you and perhaps what is a little bit more nourishing. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say with bodybuilding as well, you know, there's a difference between um, when you're off season and then when you're getting ready for a show and everything that goes into being ready for a show. Um, So again, in the off season, you can kind of, eat anything or certainly as long as you're eating lots of protein you can be a little bit more flexible and just train really hard and kind of let go a little bit um Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I did that because I was never very good at just letting go I was definitely Mm -hmm. um so I was definitely someone that kind of enjoyed getting ready for a show a lot more because I liked that you know rigidity and that routine Mm -hmm. um ashtangi much right you know um and (laughs) Yeah. yeah go on Russell What's an oh, what's an example of a of a hard and fast rule in bodybuilding? Um, I would say things like um, well, f- there's the training schedule and then there's the diet. But I think what's what's more brutal than the training is really just the the diet. And I think Harmony mentioned you know counting calories and macros and you know the 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 high amount of protein that's needed. Um, but I think depending on again how um how dogmatic or traditional you are as a bodybuilder again another parallel there perhaps mm-hmm. there's there's kind of this idea that we eat every 3 hours because of muscle protein synthesis so essentially you want to be feeding your muscles with protein every few hours so then you know you, you're eating six meals a day i used to like walk around with you know meals in Tupperware boxes in a bag you know because I Mm -hmm. I needed to make sure that I would have my meals at at the right times um and yeah and I think just before a contest you know you couldn't just if it was your birthday you can't go out and have a nice meal and a glass of wine because it's just not on your meal plan um so there's a there's definitely a kind of exiting out of life that has to happen um, in order mm. to be a successful athlete um, and arguably the same could be said for Ashtanga as well but I think what I what I found now is that I I try not to let my Ashtanga practice almost take me out of life too much mm-hmm. um, it, it does take me to bed quite early like I, I'd like <laughs> to go to sleep early um but, yeah. but on the whole you know I still enjoy a glass of wine and I'll still eat a pizza and even if that means I'm a bit hungover on the mat the next day like you know so be it um yeah with with bodybuilding you just can't get away with that because you've got to stand on stage in a little bikini like looking shredded Right. right. <laughs> you gotta you gotta save that for the off time. <laughs> yeah. And and then what happens is that after a show is like, 
you know, competitors often just binge and, and right. really struggle, you know, because there's this rebound that happens afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a, a couple of close mates in Mysore who were both, pro, yeah, I'd say professional bodybuilders. Uh, one was uh, Mr. Um, San Francisco. I think the other was actually competing for, for Mr. Oh. California. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both said, and were quite honest about it, and we can cut this out if you're not comfortable talking about it. Um, but they both said that it's there's there's no way that you can perform in that sport without uh, taking performance enhancing drugs. And and so mm-hmm. my friends were both, you know, uh, injecting steroids just to be able mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. participate in the sport, much mm-hmm. in the same way that say Lance Lance Armstrong understood that you you were just not going to be able to participate in mm, mm. European cycling unless you're taking performance enhancing drugs. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I would say um, unless you're specific, or in the UK there are um, competitions that are drug free. So they're right. tested and the the standard is expected to be lower because people aren't taking steroids. And mm. Oh, I would so the, say, the muscle development, they acknowledge the muscle development will be lower. Yeah, within within reason, I would say. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that the other, we call them federations. The other federations, and I think in bodybuilding, the as an in, in, internally, as a culture, the, the, the drugs are just another f- completely acceptable facet of the sport just like the diet and just like the training so how Mm. how you use and manipulate and the approach that competitors have towards the drugs is just as important as everything else it's just not as widely spoken about or admitted and I think that um especially amongst female bodybuilders there's this um kind of sense that Oh, you know, women don't admit to the fact that they're taking steroids, but it's absolutely rife. It's absolutely rife. Mm. Um, and yeah, I would say that um, amongst the women that I met, most women, um, depending on their size and what kind of category they were competing in, because there are kind of different categories depending on how big you got. You know, most women that I know were were taking some sort some sort of anabolic steroid and male hormones. For sure, I had a I had a friend once who um, had to take an anabolic steroid. I think for shingles, something like that. Um, and she said it was the best Ashtanga yoga practice she'd ever had. <laughs> it was absolutely. She felt so phenomenally strong, and there was so little inflammation. Her performance mm. was mm. really good, and it sounded really nice. <laughs> yeah, it's not. <laughs> i mean I, i'd have to think that um as a con- it's a contraband substance in the uk is it not the the steroids um it depends on if you're selling there are quite kind of confusing rules around around steroid use um mm-hmm. you know obviously because it is medicinal at times as well but but yeah and i think that's one of the reasons why it is so um um, so hidden and and not openly spoken about. Mm-hmm. But to, to to address kind of you know your your, your friend and that point, I, I I can I can really understand that that logic. And I think that there's a I think any woman as well taking you know these kind of male hormones and 
and the kind of the the gains that you get from that and that feeling of um of strength and being lean and fearlessness and like you can take on the world is you know it's 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 unrivaled in, in in some respects but on the on the other hand you know I think after prolonged steroid use and, and and I've seen this in a lot of like female competitors the the downside is just you know your hormones are just absolutely shot to pieces and mm. you know women get deep voices and hairy faces and and all of all of that stuff that you would associate with with becoming a man mm. and and I think that you know certainly for me when I, you know, I'd been practicing Ashtanga actually before I started bodybuilding, strangely enough, but, but I was only kind of dipping my toe here and there. But for me, you know, I was, I was incredibly muscular when I, when I then committed to a daily Ashtanga practice. But, you know, that meant that I was broken. Like my forward bend didn't exist. Like Mm -hmm. it, it's what there wasn't a forward bend, there was nothing. So, you know, just as we talk about in the practice you know developing that that strength of body but you also need the flexibility and and you 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 can't just be like a kind of twig jumping back and jumping through because you need the strength but you also need a degree of lightness or or at least it's helpful to have a degree of lightness kind mm-hmm. of balancing the two is very similar in bodybuilding you need the strength you need the the lean look and and steroid use kind of is something that short term really facilitates that because it, it it helps you look lean and dry, but it also helps you grow muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And don't get me wrong, there have been times when I've thought, oh, I wonder if this posture would be easier if I just called my old mate up, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's not it would... worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. You know, I, I think about sport and I think about cha- you know, competition and, and championships. And sometimes I, I look at the athletes and I think about, especially with, um, say, the hysteria around uh, transgender athletes, and I, I, I think about um, that what we're really celebrating is, is whether one individual has a higher cocktail of testosterone in their system than the other. And that then we give them a gold medal because they were born with a, a, a higher testosterone amount. And it seems like that, that's more about what we're celebrating than their actual skill. Mm. Yeah, I mean... I guess that's a whole other, um, yeah, like a whole other conversation. Um, but I think when you look at your, um, I say your average man, but a typical person, everybody's hormone profile is going to be different anyway. So right. it's, su- it's such a challenging thing to measure. You know, your, your the level of testosterone that you have, Russell, will be different from the guy that lives next door to you. So your oh, ability to... <laughs> yeah (laughs) your ability to perform in anything might might be um rivaled well it's just it comes to back to the question of ashtanga yoga is that so much of the time that what we celebrate in ashtanga yoga is some ineffable freakish a gift more so than their um their training or their skill Mm. or their development we celebrate that they were born with a with suppleness and mm. so why are we why are we putting a medal on that 
Yeah, I guess, you know, we we are in a living in a time and a culture where, you know, the the aesthetic is very important and whether that's you know aesthetic on a bodybuilding stage or you know a, a beautiful backbend on Instagram like we're, mm-hmm. we're so focused on what it looks like and I imagine so many people come to the practice and stay in the practice you know and myself included to some extent you know you have that resonance with oh, that looks amazing yeah. um mm-hmm. so so I would say that's why but at the same time I think after after a period of time of practice and you know having a community and and even you know this podcast for instance like in the podcast that, that you and Harmony that, that you that you do and the content that you put out I think these things are being questioned and mm-hmm. you know I, I I've said many times like I'm I'm not the next Kino or Harmony you know like I'm <laughs> I'm not someone that's probably ever gonna do third series like and mm-hmm. and that's fine but that's not to say that you know that yoga hasn't given me so much and doesn't continue to give me so much yeah. and I think as long as we continue to have these conversations where you know we don't just celebrate the people that can do incredible arm balances and you know and that we see yoga as this more holistic um whether it's spiritual, psychological, you know, gift that helps us in our lives, then then that's great. Um, and I, I would say that compared to bodybuilding, that's where the yoga is is on a completely different level. Yeah, there's a a different aspect there, not just the physical, but you know, there's the implication that it should be a little bit beyond that, that it's not just about the way the mm-hmm. body's looking, but it's about, you know, your inner alignment as well. Mm. Yeah. And it really is, you know, I think, mm-hmm. and it's not to say that we don't all get caught up in, you know, Oh, I had an amazing day today because I had an amazing practice or vice versa, or if, you know, you, you, you get the next posture and it's a really lovely feeling, you know, I think mm-hmm. it's, um, that's a really good chance to, to, or for me to check in on my ego sometimes but um yeah there's all of the other boons that seem to come just from daily practice and you know I know I'm just a better human being now (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that's that's the only reason why (laughs) it's this topic came up in a another interview that we did about the you know the women becoming kind of like masculine through the practice and the men oh, Shelley Washington said becoming yeah, kind of mm. like mm. F- feminine, more mm. sort of softer. Lady men. <laughs> not <laughs> lady men, but just like softer. And it, it kind of made me wonder or curious about the practice and, and the effects of practice on the hormones and mm. and mm. whether like performing at this very high level of asana, you know, creates the more testosterone in women, which then Mm -hmm. changes the physique and changes um, the appearance a little bit. And then in men, in order for them to do these deep backbends, I mean, obviously not every man, but a lot of them, Mm -hmm. there's uh, the body starts to maybe produce a little less testosterone to make a bit more supple or soft. It's mm-hmm. it's a question that I that I've had. Well, certainly wearing tiny shorts in a sweaty environment <laughs> is going to reduce, <laughs> you know, your your sperm count. I can tell you, <laughs> test that. Um, 
goodness. I you know anytime that you affect the the brainwave, you're going to affect um, neurotransmitters. You're going to then affect the endocrine system, and so it's an interesting, it's a very interesting question. And I think there there's a lot of room for science there. That mm-hmm. if okay, so I'm I to do a backbend where I have to put myself emotionally mm. is a, is of of surrender low resistance calmness i have to go into a really deep place even if even a you know has to be an alpha wave or a theta wave to be able to surrender to that pose mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you're going to get an endocrine response to that you're going to have more uh, oxytocin than cortisol, mm-hmm. though the fucking mm-hmm. posture produces a lot of cortisol. <laughs> <laughs> they all do. <laughs> so yeah, I would think then at that point, if you're affecting cortisol and oxytocin, you might be affecting uh, estrogen or testosterone as well. But yeah. there's it, room for a study. If our listeners yeah. are out there who do this sort of thing. We need more science. Mm. <laughs> It, it, it makes perfect sense, but I do think, you know, something to, um, you know, consider is like how we even come to these conversations and like think and talk about, you know, what it is to be masculine and feminine and male and female right. in, in the first place. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think uh, our community is one that is still quite um, stuck in perhaps uh, less forward thinking ways of thinking and you know that I, I don't know of many sort of transgender people within our community for instance or mm-hmm. people that don't identify as male or, or, or female and I don't know what they might feel about these types of conversations and you know if if a woman can you know lift up into a handstand quite easily does that make her more masculine and and what does that mean and and what implication does that have to the method and to the world in which we live in is that necessarily a a good or a bad thing I think that there's so much for us to think about around this and if anything I think we we should all think about individually perhaps where do we you know where do we lean into on that perhaps a spectrum of masculinity and femininity and what's better for our growth than that of our community like for me I'm so yang you know I'm I've got a lot Mm -hmm. of sort of yang masculine energy in the way that I go about lots of things in my life and actually the practice for me has kind of been as though I've gone as if I was starting point from a man because I was in that bodybuilder's physique and I've Mm -hmm. really softened and become a lot more feminine and not just you know because I can do a backbend but I wear pink now and I never used to wear pink I couldn't have thought of anything worse you know Um, (laughs) we have that in common (laughs) yeah I like wearing pink it's one of my favorite colors it's all the backbends Russell (laughs) no that's right it's it's a really good point though. I was I was just thinking to myself that in my immediate family of say twenty twenty five people, um, <laughs> a, a, more than a handful are transgender, queer, non binary, or, or identify as gay, and yet um, not many of my of my um, uh, what do you call it my my cohort in Mysore. Mm. Uh, identify as transgender at all it's Mm. it's a very Mm. interesting uh, Mm. point to make Uh, i mean another Mm. sort of just idea around this topic is you know for i always felt like the practice was trying to 
to balance these two things, right? So we're mm-hmm. trying to, within ourselves, create a unified whole where we're not on um, either of the extremes. Mm-hmm. But it is sort of interesting that sometimes I think on the on the way to that whole, uh, you can maybe swing too much in the other direction and need to kind of then move back towards mm-hmm. a more balanced place. And so what's yeah. balanced, again, for one person is going to be different for another person and what feels mm-hmm. like natural um, and and like a good space, right? That creating that sukha, that good space mm-hmm. for an individual might mm-hmm. be very different, right? Mm-hmm. What Russell in this case needs to feel like in a good space uh, emotionally, physically, energetically is quite different than say what I need to feel like I'm in a good space. Right. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing to think about. I would agree that we also, we, the two of us have been swinging too much. (laughs) I think we should, we need to bring it back. Um, Is that because of your neighbor and his high testosterone? Exactly. Exactly. Far too much time together. Um, I want to just to finish. I still have, we still haven't finished the intro. Um, (laughs) <laughs> On top of everything else, of being a police detective, having a degree in sociology, being quite thoughtful, having an eating disorder, being a bodybuilder and a shtanga yogi, you're a sales and marketing manager at Bear Biology. You're yeah. an absolutely exquisite colorist and a children's book author, I think, or no, children's she's book not. illustrator. No. <laughs> what? KateWinter.net? No. That's not you at all? No. No, that's that, a found. No. No, I th- but she has you've written a you've written a book have you not the, you are at bear biology right yeah so ha- half of that is correct so i and you're I, not yeah, a painter I, no you're the painter no no i found a website kate winter and it was all in these beautiful beautiful paintings you didn't do any of those paintings no i, I would that's love not to you. claim it as my own but no that's no not i'm me. really I'm confused now because i th- <laughs> Because they were the same paintings that were on the bear biology. No, um, they can't be. No, they were. They were really. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to, This is really weird. All right, so forget all that. Um, being a sales mm. and marketing manager that that's not mm. quite that's... different from being a colorist. Um, <laughs> well, the question really is: Are are you one of those youngest sibling siblings that you know really needed to be an overachiever? What was going on there? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I I don't know. I guess I um, I am the I am the youngest of of two, but you know, very close to my sister, um, who's older than me. And yeah, I um, I guess I'd always I'd always thought that I wanted to be a cop. You know, that was my plan from from when I was a teenager. And what? Yeah. How, I, how I always, did that happen? Yeah, that's so um, interesting. Yeah, Cabby I and guess. Lacey? What what show what, no, what lit your um, imagination? So we we had a show called The Bill. Mm-hmm. Um because the, the old bill is like a is a term that we'd use to describe the police. Um oh, right. yeah, so there was there was some telly influence, but I don't know, I guess I there were some things that, you know, that happened in my life I think that that made me feel that and this is another overlap with the bodybuilding thing, that um, it was important for me to be kind of strong and to be seen to be very strong. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to kind of protect um, 
vulnerable people and to like bang up like the bad guys um and yeah I think I've got that personality type perhaps that once I decide on something you know I'm I'm very sort of fixed on it and and I suppose yeah when I decided I was going to join the police I never really questioned it and I I studied at, at Warwick and did a sociology degree um but with a lot of kind of criminology and legal theory all tied into it because I knew that I, I wanted to go into the police. And I suppose, um, yeah, you know, I, I spent those years, um, yeah, very much being an, an overachiever and becoming a detective very young. And, mm. you know, for all intents and purposes, I did look and sound and seem a bit like I was on some kind of detective drama um on television um, and you know my name is Kate Winter so I was like you know Detective Winter and it just sounded so like you know that's cliche. fantastic so did, so did you have a very a very positive experience with the with the police in in Warwick did did something happen where you thought these people are the right are the right kind of people and I want to be with them no, not really. I think, and, and that's, I guess, one of the reasons why I left. I mean, I I wouldn't say you know, nothing is ever just one thing. And I had some really fabulous, you know, times and experiences in the police. And, you know, it certainly taught me an awful lot about life and death and myself. And um, yeah, you know, it, it, it was certainly an experience. But I would say, I think, as I, I I became um, anorexic or developed anorexia whilst I was in the police, and oh, and it wasn't as a as a young girl. It was later. No, I was in my twenties when I was diagnosed. Shit. Um, yeah, and and I think what what happened. Obviously, we can loop back to that, but I started having therapy as part of my treatment, and I think during therapy, I just realised that I had chosen this career for all the wrong reasons, which was not because I, I, it was, you know, my essence or my, my true purpose was to become a police officer. It's because I was a scared little girl trying to make a statement in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as I, as I kind of softened and started to understand that better and, you know, and I, I, I saw more shades of gray in the world. I then found policing even more challenging and the culture was shockingly bad at the time. You know, mm. it was it was still quite misogynist, and mm-hmm. I was sort of victim to some sexual harassment, and you know, it it was just pretty crap. And yeah, and I would say that I um, yeah I I took the leap um, out of the police um, because I just knew that it wasn't the right thing. And it was kind of like a marriage, you know, it was, it, it, it was mm. not, it wasn't right, but at times it was, it was okay. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was, I was wondering if, if it was sexual harassment that, that led you to joining the police force in the first place. Um, no, I would mm. say, um, no, it was more, um I guess like childhood factors and things that I'd just seen I think just out in the world about what it meant to be like a kind of fierce woman um you know I was I was growing up in a time where um you know to be 
a career woman and to be like you know strong and able to cope with anything and I don't take no shit from anyone that was like really celebrated and I thought you know uh, to be a to be a detective was like the embodiment of that to me right that's that's interesting actually um you said that you're from Warwick or that you I'm from Brighton oh you are from Brighton okay yeah went to school in Warwick and I, I you probably know this um but Harmony may not that um uh, Uthred of Uthred's girlfriend, uh, <laughs> Ethelfled, founded the city of Warwick, and uh, or at least had the for real or in the real, drama for real, and that the burr or the fortress yeah. was built there, and that's how the city was formed around it oh. to defend Mercia from the Danes. You remember that episode? Yeah, yeah that actually happened, <laughs> and it was in Warwick, and so. I was one. I actually had the question here. Do you think you take after Ethel fled in some way that you're a kind of warrior princess? Because she was quite a bad dude, really. Yeah, she's I, I would love to think so. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I um, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to to say that. But um, but Warwick is a very you know beautiful place, and yeah, the castle is. And smack bang in the middle and you can't miss it. So you're reminded of these <laughs> stories all the time. <laughs> it's it's there's, there isn't the sort of gangs of rampaging Danes like there were in the old days though, is it? It's not the seventies anymore. I've, I've left Warwick now, so not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> did um how did your folks feel about you joining the forest? Was that something that they they admired in you? Were they bemused? Um, I, I would say my, my father wasn't best impressed because he doesn't really get on with the police all that well. Right. Um, or at least he, he didn't in his younger years. He was a bit of a, um, yeah, a, I would say a scally or a bit like a bit naughty. Scally. So he, yeah, he'd had, a, he'd had a few run-ins. So I think initially he found that quite strange. Um, and um and my mum you know I I don't really remember her um having too much of an opinion on it I remember her always saying to me oh I never worry about you um uh-huh. you know I know ne- I never worry that you're going to get hurt and so I, I I always thought that was quite strange because it was quite a dangerous job really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I mean, for all intents and purposes, you're quite a petite woman. You're very, mm-hmm. I mean, we would even say waif-like. You're very thin yeah. and very feminine in my mind, very mm-hmm. soft and mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. not at all what comes well, to my mind well, you, when I think of police officers. You put a nightstick mm-hmm. in somebody's mm-hmm. hand, there there will be a badass, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we we don't carry guns in the UK, but um, but yeah, I had CS gas, and so you just gas someone, you just spray yeah. it in their face, and you right. know, pray, hope for the best. Oh, yeah, hope they don't die. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, though, what 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 you say, Harmony, is is very is very true, and what it, it also taught me a lot about how. To, to diffuse somebody you know you can mm. really use like language and communication to a point you know sometimes yeah. when someone it, you know, is suffering with mental health problems for instance you know they, they have this super bodily strength and you can't talk somebody down but you know I very much developed and I think I had a degree of this anyway but 
I developed a, a way of being able to kind of placate and calm a situation mm. um, as best as I as I reasonably could, just by using you know my voice and and my and how I showed up in a room. Um, right. Yeah, and I, I I think I had a degree of presence, even though it wasn't perhaps like physical presence. Mm. Yeah, well, that I mean, that's a big deal to be able to, you know, enter a situation and emit a vibration that makes people feel calm and at mm, ease mm. or at least like starts to diffuse. diffuse or calm calm someone down is mm. that's super mm. powerful and i mean that's really the yoga at work mm. in a sense mm-hmm. 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 yeah yeah and so while you were a police officer, I assume you'd be doing intense physical training and and things also to you know be able to defend yourself and um, protect people. Before you get mm-hmm. into to get into that piece about about, I, I just wanted to to back up for one minute. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little bit of a, a sidebar, but w- one of the things that we see in the United States is that there's an excess of uh, militarized equipment. Um, that are, that is produced, and they um, we've we've had the idea that we should sell those or donate those to police stations around the country, mm-hmm. and so now you see that our um, our police are something like um, paramilitary organizations, you know, with mm-hmm. with full uh, assault gear, and I, mm-hmm. I just wanted to know as a as as a police force that that is not uh, armed. Mm-hmm. What your impression of that is, and what the, what do you think the consequences of that would be for their communities? Yeah, so it's an interesting question. I mean, I think that what what we were always told effectively was that you know gun crime and 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 just violent crime in general is statistically higher in countries and in states of the U.S., for instance, where the cops are armed. Um, and, and therefore, you know, again, having a police service that is unarmed, or at least, you know, I think now officers, the the highest or the, the most, I would say harmful thing, but the most brutal perhaps thing that they carry would be a taser gun. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the idea is that it does then cultivate a culture that doesn't need to like respond to you know, like attracts like and doesn't need to respond to mm. its police service with something, you know, more threatening. Um, mm. And and might cultivate, as, as I just described to Harmony, you know, that, that ability to perhaps use language and other forms in order to resolve problems. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I'm, I'm maybe biased um, from from having not carried weapons. Um, yeah, I think there are better ways of of, of perhaps uh, protecting and serving. Well, it's, it's certainly um, you have to develop that if you're not going to be armed, and so it has to be a point of emphasis. And so you're going to have a, a, a markedly different conversation at that point mm-hmm. and uh, you know so often in our country we understand that a, a an interaction with the police force will it could result in death and mm-hmm. that's you know that's something that's always in the back of your mind when when you see a police officer oh this guy could shoot me if i say the wrong word mm-hmm. and um 
it sort of, it certainly happens. It, it's uh, like twenty to one more likely to happen if you're in a minority, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's always a threat. Whereas if you're not armed, then the whole the whole um, culture is going to be one of deterrence and, uh, as you said, um, uh, mm-hmm. calming people down. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. coming up with alternate solutions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's the idea, hey. And I, I guess it doesn't always work. And you know, there are firearms units tucked away within the police for when the worst case scenario, you know, does sure. present. But yeah, as as a rule, I think that's the um, that's the ideal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, then people are less afraid of the police as well. I think um, less likely to panic. Yeah, there's more mm-hmm. sense that this, you know isn't going to turn into some superbly violent situation. Mm, mm. Yeah. So I'm curious about your development of anorexia. Mm, It's mm. uh, how did that, how did, what was coming up for you? How did that start to. Was it the bodybuilding? Was that what was happening? Develop in like your mid twenties. Yeah, it came before the bodybuilding, um, but it's 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 fascinating. I think because you know, we all assume, I suppose, that you know anorexia is something that is developed, you know, fairly young or certainly as a teenager. And and for me, like growing up, you know, I was a fussy eater. Like I was one of those kids that you know I didn't mm-hmm. really. I was like vegetarian. I didn't really eat vegetables, so there wasn't very much that I <laughs> ate. But yeah. but I, I certainly didn't ever think I was fat or have any kind of you know. I didn't really have like an eating disorder that you would have you know diagnosed or thought anything of at that point. And yeah, I was I was then living in Warwick. I joined the police, and I don't know. There are so many factors I think at play. Like I was living alone um I was training a lot I was doing a lot of gym work I was training for a marathon you know I was really into running Mm -hmm. and you know and I think there were things going on for me like at work that perhaps I didn't have a healthy or correct kind of outlet to deal with Mm -hmm. um I I thought I was quite a kind of resilient person but again in the police the culture is that you know you you go to a cot death and then you know an hour later you then go to a road traffic accident and then an hour later you go to a shoplifter and and then you just go home and you might even have a laugh about some kind of tragic things that you see because that was that was the culture at the time Mm -hmm. and and I think yeah I just found myself just just running all the time and you know and I lost weight and then I I started kind of looking more critically at my food in relation to my training and Mm -hmm. I was just in a massive calorie deficit and people were telling me I looked really good because that's what happens when you lose a bit of weight and you know Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to be loved so I was like (laughs) okay great you know and and I just kept going and going and going and Mm -hmm. the running became so compulsive and and the weight loss was almost just this wonderful byproduct for me and um yeah it was only it was only when it got to the point where you know I was 
I was very, very underweight and people were very worried about me that I started to then, you know, really see it as a problem. And even then I didn't really see it as that much of a problem. It was kind of everyone else's problem to me. (laughs) Right. Right. Did you then like seek out help in some way or support? Yeah. So I was, um, my, my, my boss at the time sort of, you know, suggested that I go and see a a doctor and, you know, my, my work was definitely suffering. Um, you know, I'd always been this kind of high achieving person and I was, I was running a team in CID. I don't know if you have CID, but within like a department of the police and, you know, and I, I started, being late and my and I couldn't concentrate and I just found it very hard because I was just you know very underweight and my brain just wasn't functioning properly and so I I I saw a GP who basically said to me you know yeah you're not really thin enough um for help um so yeah I can't even be helped I know it was almost like oh and you're you're not very good at anorexia either so (laughs) you know I know so I'm I I also don't feel very good at anorexia and I'm really trying (laughs) but I I basically just made sure that the next time I went back that you know I was good enough and, oh. um, and but but that did oh, get me that, that did then get me into eating disorders services in the in this country mm. um, and yeah and I, I had therapy for a while which was helpful to a point but but in the end I was then um admitted into hospital and I, I spent um just under a year in hospital um having treatment so yeah that was and that was when I how I learned to meditate in hospital and mm. it was actually a very it was a strangely very wonderful beautiful time so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry did how long were you in the hospital just under a about, year yeah about 10 months you were 10 months in, mm. in a good god it's like with and- but but yeah, the food a, isn't as good. <laughs> and, yeah. But, but did, were you on work leave or did you get to go to work in the day and come back? No, so I, I was off work for that time. And, I, and you know, the, the police were actually, you know, incredibly supportive for me to have that time off. And and some of it was paid leave. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'd i never had a day sickness in, in my whole service. And, you know, I... I was someone that was very, uh, you know, I'd show up with a cold and would battle on. And, you know, and I think they yeah. could just tell that by that point I was just really struggling. And so they gave me some paid leave. And then I, I, I took a bit of a hit financially for a period of time to finish my treatment. But, but yeah, I was, I was off work and, and you know, I, I couldn't leave the hospital. It was, I was there the whole time. So um, it was an interesting period what what was the what was a day like in the hospital what would you what would you do so I would wake up at six in the morning and I would do some like illegal exercise or sun salutation right <laughs> yes because yeah you weren't supposed to exercise because you're supposed to be yeah. there to gain weight but you know the exercise was was very compulsive for me mm-hmm. and and I'd also you know I'd, I'd not long learned a bit about Ashtanga so I started you know doing a few sun salutations and some standing postures. Was that, mm-hmm. was that in Warwick or, or where were you stationed at that point? Yeah so I was in Warwick so I, I was running a marathon and I was um, 
and you know everyone says when you're running a marathon that you should go and do some yoga so I I walked into a yoga studio and and there I was doing primary series not knowing what the (laughs) hell was going on right well well, forgive me I didn't mean to interrupt you you were telling Harmony about your day so yeah so so I'd had that kind of little intro to Ashtanga anyway and (laughs) and yeah so my day normally started off just getting up early and doing some sort of movement and petrified that one of the nurses was going to catch me Um, and then the day was really we'd we'd eat six meals a day um so a bit like bodybuilding again I was used to that kind of schedule but we would eat six times and we'd always have group kind of therapy and sitting after Mm -hmm. meal times um so that so that you don't go and you know throw up or you know do anything you shouldn't oh so right so strangely enough like yeah so strangely enough that actually took up yeah, between eating and having therapy sessions, that took up a lot of time. Um, yeah. And then there would be like an hour or maybe a bit longer where you could have visitors. Um, but my, my family were down in Brighton and I was up there. So I didn't have tons of visitors from my family at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then I, I would just read a lot and meditate and have other kind of have my psychotherapy one to one sessions and and the days mm-hmm. just passed and, you know, and I, I got fatter, which was the point. And yeah. <laughs> and how did you learn to meditate in therapy? What, did they have a special teacher come in or program? No. So I a, a nurse in hospital, she said to me, um, this was before it was trendy. She said, "Oh, have you ever heard of mindfulness?" And mm-hmm. I was like, "And I was like, no, what is this thing?" And um, and so I I ordered a book from Amazon, which I always remember. I had to have posted to a friend so that they could then bring it into hospital for me. And it right. had and it had like a CD ROM um, attached into yeah. this book. And so I borrowed a yeah a CD ROM player thing, and yeah. and there were these guided um, mindfulness meditations. And then I got a um, I got an Eckhart Tolle book, and I just mm-hmm. and I really started to notice all these changes. And I think you know there was something quite special going on because I was also you know gaining weight and coming alive again. And mm. I just I just woke up to like all this beauty in the world and bearing mind I was in hospital I somehow managed to find it you know and yeah and yeah and so so I started doing that every day and yeah and I I still I mean I I can't say I listen to that CD very often now but I've got them somewhere saved on my phone the same downloads and when I listen to them yeah there's something quite special and innocent about that time and yeah Mm. it, it really made me realize that you know that that the yoga and the meditation would be my path to healing but you know only Mm. when I was ready and I was very resistant for a long time so Mm. what what was do you remember the name of the meditations was it someone or something in particular it was um mindfulness finding peace in a frantic world and it was by I can't remember the name now um I want to that say sounds some, familiar. I want to say someone Williams. It's got like a green kind of cover. Um, yeah, Amazing. it's finding peace in a frantic world. 
That's yeah. Sounds perfect. <laughs> like something we can all use even now. For sure, for sure. It says yeah, it says Mark Williams. Mark Williams. Yeah. yeah there you go. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, and I mean it was it was very sort of simple and basic mindfulness, mm-hmm. but it was um it was a lovely kind of intro at the time. I think those early years when you're just really new to the practice and kind of just getting into learning about the philosophy or learning about mindfulness, learning about yoga. Mm. Um, some of those resources that you stumble upon become absolutely like precious gems and guide li- guiding really? lights in your path. And mm. I remember for me, I was I had this book called Meditations from the Mat by Rolf Gates. And even now when people ask me, oh, what's your favorite yoga book? It's Mm -hmm. always like on my list because Mm -hmm. it was, you know, he was a a recovering alcoholic and um, the book is like 365 days of just daily meditations um, or, you know, things to think about, things to Mm -hmm. contemplate. Uh, all based around the eight limbs. And and it's, again, very simple, nothing, you know, (laughs) nothing incredibly, like, profound, but it it was exactly what I needed at that time in my life um, and touched upon just things that I was feeling and going through at that time. And Mm -hmm. so it's, yeah, they're special, those those little resources that – that kind of fall into our path along the way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm going to look up that book and uh, I'll report back. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> so d- did that stay in hospital? Did that coincide with your decision to leave the force ultimately and, and move to Brighton? Um, I, I would say that I went back to the police after that for another couple of years Um well, another few years, actually. I think I'd, I'd thought that the problem wasn't the police and that the problem was my anorexia and that, you know, mm-hmm. all I needed to do was to get well and and then, you know, the, the, the job would be fine. Um, so I, I went back and I gave it another really good bash. But, you know, I, mm. I, I quite quickly relapsed and ended up going back into hospital for a short stay oh. that time. Um, you oh, know, which point. is which is what happens, you know, in recovery. It's just so, so common. Mm-hmm. And I, I kept kind of giving it another go and giving it another go. Um, but the the thing that that catapulted me back to Brighton, I suppose, was I was in a um, I was in a car crash, not an overly dramatic one, but one where I um, I bust my hand like on my steering wheel and mm-hmm. and I went to a friend of mine in Warwick who was an acupuncturist just to have a bit of acupuncture on my hand. And, you know, I, I hadn't cried very much um, in my life because, you know, I was a tough cop. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, at this point I was bodybuilding as well. So I'd kind of found my way out of anorexia and into this kind of quasi anorexics, you know, strength place. Mm-hmm. And, yeah and I'm lying there on this acupuncturist couch and the next thing I know I was just sobbing and you know this this um treatment had clearly opened up something in me and mm-hmm. and and I just looked at her and I just said I need to go home uh. and and it was as simple as that and and I just I think that weekend I 
drove down to Brighton, saw my family, and I was like, I'm coming back. And yeah, and within within a month or so, I, I had left and I owned a property in Warwick and I rented it out. And I, I took a career break from the police just to kind of keep my options open. And um, and that's really why I became a personal trainer down here, because it was it was the only thing that I knew to do besides policing. Um, right. You know, I was I was qualified and and there was a job there and I could just see clients. And yeah, mm-hmm. it was um, it was a, an amazing kind of almost serendipitous uh moment that then got me to like where I'm at now of like one step onto the next because you became a a sales and marketing manager and and I I I would think that policing was so much about the organization of details uh Mm, that mm. uh, that would translate well especially if you're someone who's you know quite a type a disciplined Mm. person so Mm. much of that work is is really being very um tidy yeah yeah so much so it's um it's fascinating because I think on my on my LinkedIn profile I have something written about you know how my my career trajectory it looks very random you know police Mm -hmm. personal trainer sales and marketing but Mm -hmm. I really do see every single one as being like a kind of an evolution and and a movement into the next and a lot of those skills around you know as you say Russell you know the the in, insane attention to detail that you need you know as a detective and you know the ability to communicate like we've already spoken about mm. and you know the the kind of the, the sales element of actually being a personal trainer you know I was very very busy personal trainer not because I was the best personal trainer in the world but I was a really good saleswoman so I could sell yeah. I could sell myself and sell my sessions yeah. very very easily and each and each one kind of then yeah just kind of segued into the next career move and and mm-hmm. they don't even feel that distinct to me now and I think you know sometimes I have to demonstrate real kind of strength and resilience and you know and I now manage a team so I have to look after people just like I used to and there there are there are lots of overlaps and and the company that I work for now is a is a health supplement brand so I'm still in that kind of health and wellness space that is of interest to me but in a lot more of a healthy way than perhaps you know being in a gym for 12 hours a day. Mm, you know, yeah. it's something of a, of an irony that the kind of self-loathing that precipitates an interest in yoga and, and the arts and painting, and it doesn't really lend itself to then wanting to sell that. Because it's like, <laughs> that's not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to put yeah. myself out there because I'm actually doing this because I'm quite wounded, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tough little bridge to, to, to cross, isn't it? But yeah, you seem I mean, to really do it well. Well, I'd have to say, you know, I, I really, I really relate to what you just said, Russell, and that, you know, there were, I think one of the reasons why I felt that my my time of being a personal trainer was coming toward its end was that, you know, I would have women coming up to me in the gym and they would be like, oh, I, I really want abs or a six pack and look at my fat. And they would like grab bits of their body and show me how disgustingly fat they thought they were. <laughs> 
and you know and 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 for me like the the saleswoman in me is obviously thinking like yeah you know I can sell you some personal training this is great yeah, but, but we can but, fix that yeah yeah but the but the empathetic person that as you describe is like no just accept yourself you're absolutely fine you're beautiful you're healthy you know like that yeah. that, that person just wanted to say please don't have buy personal training from me just go home and and just eat nice yeah. dinner with your family and live a lovely life you know maybe, <laughs> so we, should, was, maybe we should have a cup of tea and, talk yeah, about and, it. and a biscuit you know there was <laughs> there was a real disconnect between what I what I was kind of selling and what I felt to be true and and actually you know it was nice because I, I was able to incorporate quite a lot of yoga and meditation into my mm. personal training sessions and that was when I felt that I was actually making kind of a bit more of a difference to people um, in, in a way that made me also feel content. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, I feel like this similar kind of uh, paradox or juxtaposition comes up with the yoga and and especially with the emphasis of of yoga on social media you know and social media mainly being a platform of selling it seems these days more than mm. anything else you know it's like every post I see almost of yoga people feels like they're selling, you know, a handstand or a certain physique or a certain mm -hmm. ability. Um, oh, you can do a backbend. Perfection. You can yeah, it's like this exactly just just work harder, just do more. Yeah, so just working do more. And just doing do, more. Yeah, Why working aren't harder you doing and doing more. more. Why aren't you I mean, harder? I mean and everything in me feels like a like a revolt against this constant mm. pressure to perform. And I feel like that this isn't even what yoga is about. Like it's not about the performance. Yeah. And mm. so much of the it's about selling Ramana is about the performance. It's about Ramana mm. Maharshi chilling mm. out on a couch now <laughs> yeah. and doing, doing nothing fuck all mm. and being really cool about it. Yeah. <laughs> And so I, I so relate to this, to exactly what you've explained with the personal training as well, yeah. where you just kind of want to tell everyone like, you're perfect and you're you don't need fine. to jump back and you don't need to put your legs behind your head. But at the mm -hmm. same time, that's what everybody kind of wants, you know? Yeah, but I think, you know, I think Harmony, you know, as as one of your students, I think what you do cultivate is a is a nice approach to all of these things, you know, and I think your own mm. social media and, you know, I did your pranayama course twice, you know, it was and <laughs> and, and and I and I can't jump back, you know, like it's it's, yeah. like, it's, it's fine. And I think wait, that, wait, the pranayama course didn't teach you to jump back. No, I don't what mean the fuck is yeah, that I, worth I'm then? still I still need <laughs> a refund. But, <laughs> <laughs> She took it the second time just to just to, just see. to jump back, yeah. Just to, like maybe it'll maybe I'll get it this time. The breathing. Oh, you know, my, my, my point is that you know I think that there is there is still an, an appetite, maybe a slightly lower one, but for you know some of the other um, for some of the other practices, and that yes, you know, and yes. that and that what what I think you are able to do is in quite a. a not a clever way as in a manipulative way but in a subtle way just in teaching just um drop in that you know it really doesn't matter if you're not jumping back you know and and, and bring yeah. the spirit and essence of yoga into teaching um I think that's a real skill 
Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I, I love, I mean, that's partly why I love teaching in person actually versus online is I feel like in person you can kind of, you know, crack the whip a little bit more, but mm. then also mm. tell people that it doesn't really matter. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, online I mean, it's a bit harder. You have to, uh, you know, it's, it's like you have to take a little more gentler approach, which is, is good and is ultimately the approach you want to take, but it's, it's mm. more difficult to like kind of motivate people mm. to, to, mm. you know, try. I think any, any teacher, <laughs> like, you know, any, any good teacher or therapist, even like, you know, they, it's important to kind of show almost love and to show hate and to show kind Absolutely. of you know, boundaries yeah. as well. And, you know, in, as much as I sit here and say, about you know your pranayama course and and everything you've taught me harmony about kind of softening you know I remember in Iceland just you shouting across the room at me saying about dropbacks you know do it again Kate do it again do it again and you had me doing like 25 dropbacks every day you know just, and my practice was like three hours long <laughs> yeah and now you're dropping back like a professional yeah, so. yeah exactly yeah because we all need artist, we all, yeah. it's the only bit i like <laughs> right yeah the beatings she learned to love it yeah. the dropping back the beatings will continue until yeah. morale improves that's good do you, uh, Kate? Do you know this show? It's fantastic. I don't know if it's if it's broadcast in the UK. Uh, the Baroness von Sketch show. I don't think so. It's a Canadian no. show. It's a fantastic Canadian you can, show. You look it up on YouTube. We'll and send you the link. You have to. It's um. It's really a. It's a sketch show, and it's very much in the in the vein of the kids in the hall. Also Canadian. Also Canadian. Well, that's, I mean, it's, English. it's humor, right? Yeah, so but she's English. It's humor, right? So it's going to be Canadian. So um, they do this, they do this wonderful bit. It's four incredible comedians, uh, uh, probably all identifying, all women identifying as, as non-binary or queer. And mm -hmm. They're fantastically funny. They do this one bit where they are doing a send up of a of a county police force in the UK, and they're all doing <laughs> their impressions of the of the UK. So someone quite like you, right? So they're doing they're doing you know the constable and the detective, and they're all in the office, and something comes over the 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 radio. There's been a there's been a murder down at the sixth form. Oh, well, I'll put the kettle on then. <laughs> And so that's what they do. So we're like a solid three minutes. All these terrible things happen one after the other. But a murder, a robbery is. There's been, you know, uh, uh, someone's someone's <laughs> just stolen a bicycle and it's like, oh well, put the kettle on. And that's the first <laughs> response. And it's, I'd re it, it's 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 interesting. I mean, that's kind of um, it's a really nice thing to go and have a cup of tea when you're not not feeling great mm. um but at the same time it's like it doesn't really address the root issue sometimes you know <laughs> and, and so it's very it's very quintessentially english i think in a way it's um to kind of like to pursue to just deflect in a way that's also actually quite soothing and it's it's, mm. it's so it's, is your question how do you feel about tea yeah how do you feel about tea <laughs> 
Well, I, I always stop and have a cup of tea before Kapitasana because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just I, I, I need that I need that time. <laughs> you need to soothe the soul first. <laughs> but it's it's not very British to you know, have self care, even though there are these facets of the society that are incredibly soothing and traditional. It's mm. a kind of it's a kind of weird paradox, I think. Yeah, I, I guess it, it's, it's challenging because I, I don't know any different. Um, and, you know, I would say that there's a, there is perhaps a kind of stoicism that, that comes within British culture. But, um, you know, and, and maybe like that kind of stiff upper lip or that kind of up, uptight um, demeanour. But, um, yeah, as for kind of breaking and having a cup of tea I, I i guess we all just we all take our tea differently so it's um yeah it's it, it's hard to say i'm i'm not someone um, that that takes it easy all that much as you probably gleaned <laughs> yeah. well, i i'm re- rather fond of a roy bosch and so that's oh, no. that's roy bosch roy bosch you say mm. roy bosch yeah roy bosch yeah, that's I. I learned that in England. Oh, that's mm. how they would know. They would know, especially in Brighton. That's where, it, like, it's a real kind of uh, yeah feminist tea. If you know, you understand what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. So you, you, so how? What's your relationship to Ashtanga Yoga now? Are you still using it to get thin? <laughs> no, but it definitely keeps me thin, and that is one of my <laughs> ongoing battles. <laughs> <laughs> and and so do you do you think you have a healthy relationship to it do you think do you think it is something that soothes you and serves you or um do you feel like you have to kind of fight it a little bit um i would say that yeah i'd love to sit here and say oh this is just the most soothing practice and you know and that it's and it's helped me recover from anorexia and you know I would just be lying um you know yeah. it's, it's I I would say that for me I've I've never really said that you know I'm fully recovered um I I think that I have this illness that is a mental health problem you know and it's connected to OCD that that I'm also diagnosed with and Mm -hmm. you know I have a I have a good management over those illnesses I would say and the Ashtanga it helps but it can also be a hindrance and Mm -hmm. yeah I think for me personally um I struggle with um resting and you know, not doing my whole practice. And, you know, I certainly have that real drive and, you know, and I enjoy it a lot as well. So I certainly mm-hmm. have that kind of feeling of, I want to get on my mat and I'm gutted when it's a moon day. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, 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 and I still have that and that hasn't kind of worn off as yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have this kind of feeling that, you know, Ashtanga is this little, and I don't really know how to describe it, but that of course Ashtanga exists because Ashtanga is the thing that is actually teaching me how to create my version of recovery, health, moderation within a Mm. paradigm that almost screams at me to do the opposite. Um, right. Because I, I could become so, so strict and, you know, be be vegan and, you know, 
do all of this, like do all these workshops that are now cropping up everywhere, especially now we're online and, and be Mm -hmm. so involved in this practice that I don't have a life. And actually, you know, what I found and what I'm finding, as I mentioned earlier, is that, you know, yeah, I, I practice six days a week, you know, I do, I love it. And yet, aside from that practice time, you know, i I listen to your podcast, I listen to a few podcasts, but other than that, you know, I go to work, I do a day's work and then, you know, in the evening I might see friends or, you know, do other things. And, you know, I I try not to allow the practice to infiltrate my life to the point where it supports any anorexic choices, such as I'm not going to have dinner after a certain time you know mm-hmm. I, I will just have dinner at whatever time it doesn't matter to me I know some days like I eat dinner earlier okay I feel a bit better in my practice the next morning but I have a very good way of like um filtering and checking in with myself when I hear um some teachers or fellow ashtangis you know talking about foods they do or don't eat or the times that they do and don't eat and all of Mm -hmm. that that surrounds the practice because I know that those rules don't apply to me because I have an eating disorder right yes yes Um, right so you know sometimes I I might eat a little bit before practice if I need to or yeah I'll I'll eat dessert like I don't care like it's it's more important (laughs) to me and because I do struggle you know I, I struggle with my weight gain anyway because I'm I'm quite Vata, as Harmony reminds me. And, you know, my family are all very slim. We're quite slim people. And and then chuck in a, you know, two-hour practice every day. You know, I, yeah. I I have to eat more than one meal of lettuce a day. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your metabolism right. burns at a very high rate. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be Harmony seeing me eat as well, you know. I think when I, I have when I've had retreat, dinner several times. Yeah, when, I, when I'm on retreat, it's like people look at me like this is weird because like I, I look quite scrawny and then, then I, I'm there like eating lots. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really like such an important thing to to point out too, because because I think a lot of us who are attracted to the Ashtanga yoga system, you know, we do have sort of OCD tendencies. Mm. We do have, you know, this sort of attraction to, um, you know, a lot of people are come to this practice, either recovering from eating disorders or um, start to recognize disordered eating, whether it's orthorexia or Mm. anorexia within the practice, like chasing this elusive feeling of lightness or trying to have this perfect practice or recreating. Just perfect abs, please. Yeah. <laughs> recreating a certain feeling or sensation mm-hmm. um, within themselves through the practice. And um, I just, I think it's so important what you say that, you know, to catch yourself when you're chasing, when you're like going down that kind of rabbit hole of chasing after a certain feeling or a certain type of practice or a certain quality to the practice um, that revolves around, you know, habits that aren't promoting health and being mm-hmm. able to, like you say, eat late. And maybe, you know, oh, I'm I, this might affect my practice in the morning. It's not going to be, you know, 
maybe super light, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. I can still do the practice Mm -hmm. and sit Mm -hmm. with that feeling and that sensation and be okay with, with it not feeling a certain way. Because enjoying the life, as Kate said, or, or experiencing life to the fully is more important than, than the practice being um, the center of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because the, the practice just, you know, supports life and I think something I I said earlier is like I'm just a nicer human being than I was before I was doing this practice so Mm. I will just keep doing it while I still think I'm a really nice person you know and (laughs) like and and it seems to be really working because I'm 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 really happy at the moment and I'm, I'm leading a very what I feel to be a very good life but you know I think the minute at which the bodybuilding sorry the minute at which the Ashtanga becomes like the bodybuilding where then you mm-hmm. I can't go out for dinner or I can't you know see friends you know unless they too are are bodybuilders or ashtangis because you only right. yeah. hang out with people just like you because then yeah. you've got a really broad <sighs> mind you know yes. I think I think it's um yeah it's something that I'll continue doing because it, it it gives me a lot more than what it takes away yeah yeah, and that's so important. I think that you've hit like that point in such a important salient way that it's giving you more life than it's taking away. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes if you're not careful of that, if you're not uh, mindful, then you end up putting yourself in a little Ashtanga yoga prison. And yeah, we've been there. Yeah, life mm-hmm. starts shrinking and you mm-hmm. start shrinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but your practice is really good. <laughs> your physical practice. It's never know? good enough, but yeah. uh, it's still yeah. quite good. Um, but the rest yeah. of your life is shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Which, again, I think is why Ashtanga is this, like, it's this, it's this, like, delicious poison, you know? It's like, it's a mm. real, it's, it, it's a really um, fascinating methodology, unlike any other, you know, system of, asana mm. that, that I've come across in that mm. you know I think it, you can really do some damage but it can be so so healing you know at the same time yes. and it's all about the approach and you know I, I certainly haven't nailed this for sure but as I'm continuing in my own practice I'm I'm really finding that and I think to to have this system this traditional system and and find your way and find the parts of which you wholeheartedly embrace and the bits that you at certain times may need to park or reject entirely you know I think Mm -hmm. that developing that discernment as a student um, and just developing that yourself and uh, doing that almost alone is a Mm -hmm. really amazing lesson for life yeah yeah that's so a, a medicine and a poison right like I so was, much of our our medicinal mm, things if you take them too much they become toxic it's it's mm. it's really such a beautiful metaphor because mm. it's, it's just like like shiva in the ramayana yeah. holding mm. the delicious poison <laughs> yeah. uh that is churned in the ocean the by hala, the de- hala. Hala, mm. hala. But, yeah by the devis and the uh asuras they're they're yeah. churning the ocean and then this this the ambrosia comes out, comes out and the sh- and then shiva holds it in his throat mm. because he can swallow it and it burns and it turns his throat bright blue mm. and swollen with the poison that's just exactly what happens in Ashtanga Yoga. Mm. We're sitting there on the mat with these bright blue throats mm. looking like some kind of cockatoo. That's, yeah. Mm. 
the colorist immersion. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <Yeah>. No. <laughs> this no. this one over here. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. How yeah. do you hold this this thing? And I I think everything you've said is so so poignant, so yeah. important. So you, you practice at the at uh, the Brighton Brighton Natural Health Center and uh, there with uh, our friend Sarah. Yes, yes, I do. Oh, fantastic. Well, do say hi to her. She is uh, I will. a dear friend. I and, will. Uh, and is your book published, Kate? It's not. So I, yeah. What? I, I, what was I, this about a book? So I'm, you have I'm, a book? That wasn't in my question list. There's a book? No, there's, there's You're a writing book, a book? But it's, but it's not a children's book. It's definitely oh. not a children's book. No. <laughs> Yeah, I um I, I I've written a book. Um it's it is a novel, but it's about female bodybuilding. Um oh, fantastic. And yeah, and, and I and I decided not it's not an autobiography, um, but it's it's dramatized and, and draws on a lot of experiences of other female competitors that, that I met during my years of bodybuilding. Um but yeah, it's in it's in its second draft phase, so it's it's pretty much finished and it's it's sitting here I've let a couple of friends read it and I'm now at the stage where I need to send it out to publishers and agents and all of that stuff so yeah if anyone listens in and they want to publish my book obviously feel free to get in touch but um (laughs) but but, yeah um, I've even if no one ever reads it besides my my nearest and dearest it's been a really cathartic process and and i just love Mm. writing so yeah Mm. i've enjoyed it very much we we would not to plug but we would recommend that Mm publishizer.com they go through the the process of introducing you to publishers and 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 getting your book uh, an audience and we had a friend on the show uh sonia who Mm. used publishizer to produce her book and it's a i think uh you might like the platform Oh fab! I will certainly check it out. And I, I listened to your um, to the episode with Sonia. Actually, I really enjoyed that one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I will. I will certainly have a look. But um, yeah, yeah, and and I've already started the next one. Anyway, I, once I finish one, I'm sort of ready to start writing another. So <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing. You're, I know, it's all that vata energy, Kate. <laughs> You're a font of creativity. I, I can't help myself. It's like I've got this app on my phone that's like where you can just write. And, you know, if I'm sort of stood in a queue, you know, or anywhere I, I get a bit of inspiration, I just quickly write stuff on my phone. And before you know oh, it, fantastic. It, um, it's it's a book in formation. So, wow, um, that's incredible. <laughs> so good. Well, I really want to thank you for your, your vulnerability and, and your generosity and telling your story. I, I know it's it's not... It's not cricket in the UK mm. to to put yourself out there as such, but uh, I, I would just really want to thank you. I, I think it's it's helpful for folks who are dealing with disorders, and I know Harmony and I, um, mm. you know, we have our own struggles that we we try and manage together, and so mm. it, it's helpful mm. for us as well. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for for having me. And you know, I I agree. I think these conversations are important and you know and hopefully they they just show that you know nothing stays the same that one way or another we we find our mm-hmm. groove out of out of uh, certain things and perhaps into others that are that are more healthy and happy and nourishing so 
Yeah. yeah. She has that Lilith goddess energy. She really goes for the unconventional to manage her life. It's fantastic. <laughs> she is a goddess. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> Warrior goddess. Well, I'm looking forward to when we can see you again in person, Kate. I know. So I can't wait. Nice I, will be, I will be the first one there when I can see you in person again soon. Beautiful. Aww, fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a hard wind and the soil.